0: How many of you are turnip people or squashes, winter squashes? Yeah, yeah, a lot of you. Yep. All right. You have different taste buds created than mine. But that's why we're all different. Um, anything else? Something that makes Thanksgiving dinner Thanksgiving dinner for you? Cranberry sauce. Cranberry sauce. All right, do you like the jelly or the sauce? The, the home. Okay. Okay, your grandma's rolls. Yep. Eddie! Homemade mincemeat pie. Homemade mincemeat pie. There's another special category. You know my opinions on mincemeat pie. Yeah, yeah. so there's, there's all kinds of things. Must-haves, right? Or maybe some of you veterans, when you were stationed at different places and away from home, there were things that you thought of around these holiday times that you're like, man, if I could get moms, you know. There's cravings that you had. Or mothers or mothers-to-be. Those cravings that you have that you've got to have this or you die <laughs> certain particular foods right um, maybe there's something that you were hungry for before that you're not as fond of today um, I haven't really found many things that I liked before that I don't like as much now but I have found things that I didn't like before that I do like now brussels sprouts is one of those uh, here uh, I do enjoy brussels sprouts much more than I did when I was force fed them as a kid especially roasted with uh, bacon and garlic in the, in the oven. Um, but maybe there is something that you were hungry for before, but you just don't have that hunger for it anymore. Um, a lot of times those who are going through chemotherapy and other cancer treatments lose some of their appetite, lose some of their taste for foods uh, because of the effects of the chemotherapy and things that they were... Uh, they in years before they would have just loved to have and enjoyed just don't mean that much. And there is a risk to that in our Christian lives. The Bible speaks to this in the text that Bruce just read in 1 Peter chapter 2. There is a risk of not having a taste and a hunger for the things that we should have a taste and hunger for. Do you know that all of us this morning in this room are either, and there is no middle ground in this, the Scriptures make clear, there's no neutral. We are either growing in Christ or we are regressing. There's no neutral. There's no sitting on the fence. We're either growing in grace, or we're stagnating and degressing. We're either experiencing life and God and His people in greater and greater ways, and various degrees, not all at the same rate, or we are regressing. And Peter has made it clear here in the last part of chapter 1, that a not growing in grace uh, can can uh, exhibit itself in living the way you did in your former lifestyle, the former manner, he said in chapter 1. And he has told us that being born again and being a part of, of, of life in God, by the kindness and grace of God, means that you've been born again and you are holy as God is holy. And the way that holiness is fleshed out and the way that holiness is seen to be uh, distinct from the world is a love for the brethren. That's what he says in chapter 1 and 22 through 25. Seeing you've purified your souls and obeying the truth of the Spirit to unfeigned or sincere, not hypocritical, love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. Why? Because you've been born again. This is the life of God that you now share. And this is what God does. He loves. He loves. And so now Peter will say, from this Word of God that is that has made you born again by trust in what His Word has said is true, and God, God gives you a new nature, and, and the Holy Spirit uh, uh, does something that we call in, in, in doctrine, regeneration, makes you alive. You're not dead in your sins, you're alive that this will start to exhibit itself. And so he says in chapter 2 and verse 1, on the basis of this, that you are born alive, and you are to purify your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit to unfeigned love of the brethren, see so that you love one another in pure heart and like you've been born again through this word. Chapter 2 verse 1 says, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings it's really easy to read these verses quickly and not really think about what these words mean and the implications for our lives. And so Peter is saying this this real life that comes out of a life with God needs to be overflowing and not a disconnectedness from the body, not a disconnectedness to one another, not a loving a, a, a people from a distance, but in real Gospel-driven community. You might say, "Well, what would it look like to to have a have a um, uh, a, 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 a life that is not obeying the truth through the Spirit to unfeigned love of the brethren and not loving another one another with a pure heart fervently?" And it would look like people not connecting with each other. That's one of the ways it would look like. It would look like cliques. Remember in high school, the cliques. It would look like people closed to relationships. It would look like a lack of hospitality and open air homes to one another. It would look like an avoidance of certain people. An ignoring of certain people. It would look like a dull spiritual life that's wrapped up in ourselves. It would look like, well, the things we do for God are a drudgery. It would look like a negative viewpoint and a critical spirit that seems to dominate. It would look like being a Christian is just a burden to you. It would look like a life that that has very little motivation to love God and others, a life that's dull, apathetic, or has a critical spirit. And and Peter addresses these things in chapter 2 and verse 1. He says, No, that's not you. That's not you. Cast that aside. Throw it aside. Throw it aside. Now imagine, if there is an embassy that represents a good king and his kingdom in another country. And the people in that embassy worked as ambassadors, representatives of their king and country. They're in this other country. And they're supposed to represent the joy and the goodness of their king. But within the embassy, there's little care. There's uh, 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 an uninvolvement in the lives of those who are working in this embassy. There's a disconnect. Connectedness. There is perhaps a resentfulness or, or uh, just a lackluster um, representative of their country to the other citizens of this other place. There's jealousy, there's um, infighting. It would be uninspiring to say the least to those who lived in, in this particular country that these representatives are in. And they would have a very hard time representing a good king to the citizens of that co- foreign country. But imagine... What it would look like with people who are passionate about their king and their kingdom and they can't stop talking about it. They can't stop interacting with, with, the, with, the, with, the, with the fellow citizens of, their, of that kingdom and, and, and strategizing ways to spread the good news of their king into this foreign country. And there's kind of two, um, two, two parts here. There's, there's a stagnation and there's a growth, right? This verse is, These verses, chapter 2, 1 through 3, are talking about. And how do you move out of stagnation? If that's where you find yourself this morning, how do you move out of stagnation? Well, God's Word authoritatively tells us that there is action that must coincide with the right thinking that begins with our love to one another. In other words, there are things that can be hindrances to our growth, stagnation. And so if the Holy Spirit, as he, as he uses this word, is, is, is touching your heart and he's saying, you know what, you're stagnant. You're not growing. You're kind of shriveling. Then Peter tells us in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, here's the answer. Here's the answer. Because as God's people who have been born alive, we want to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is how it happens. So let's look into the text here. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings. It's good that God puts things like this in here. These are real tangible down to earth. These are where the rubber meets the road stuff, right? Because sometimes you can live in these platitudes. If you're like me, you can have this vague, naive, ambiguous assessment of yourself, right? And then God puts his word up here and he's like, here's my word, here's you. And that's what this does here to our hearts this morning. Because our tendency to, can, can be to observe one part of our faith and ignore other parts. Let me give you an illustration of this. On, on April 20th, 2013, some NYPD officers uh, raided a drug den in a Brooklyn, New York neighborhood. And the police found a crew of five men. And they are in possession of 23,000 pills of oxycodone and, and, and uh, with a street value of about half a million dollars. And the men had used and stolen prescription sheets to t- obtain the drugs and they're accused of peddling heroin and cocaine and possessing a sawed-off shotgun. In other words, no new New York news, right? This is things that are pretty common in New York. But there's an interesting twist to this story. The men routinely would text their customers that they were closed for the Sabbath. One text read, we are closing at 7.30 on the dot and we'll reopen Saturday 8.15. So if you need anything, you have 45 minutes to get what you want. And so the officers dubbed this uh, investigation, of the group, um, they, they titled it only after sundown. That's when you could get your drugs. But it shows us our tendency, right? Here's, here's people in a religious system, right? And, and, and this certain time of the, of the, of the, of the week, they were, they were off-duty criminals, right? But the rest of the time, they were on-duty criminals, right? And sometimes we can observe part of our faith that ignore other parts. And if we're going to thrive in Babylon, we need to have a, 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 a thorough understanding of how to evaluate where we are in our growth of God. And Peter tells us in chapter 2, verse 1, here some things that don't belong. When you receive the diagnosis of cancer, cancer is not Something that should be part of your normal life. Normal part of your life, right? You have life and flourishing, and then you have cancer. Somehow cancer has got in there. It's crept in there. So if we're going to thrive in Babylon, we first of all need to understand that we need to zap the cancer. We need to zap the cancer. And it's, it's, it's he's pretty clear here. Laying aside, laying aside. That word laying aside would be like you taking off a garment that needs to be taken off because it's dirty. It's tainted. It's tainted, and Peter has lays lays out he catalogs some vices, some some bad things that should not be part of our Christian life. And the very first thing is malice. Now, notice the pro, the the adjective before it: all, all. In other words, with these things, these negative things that Peter is listing here, he's telling us that there is not to be. You don't want to hear the doctor say we got 93% of the cancer, right? Because what's going to happen? It's going to grow back, right? So there's a laying side of all. There's a totality here. There's a putting off of these clothes, these badly stained or infected garments or to keep the idea of malignancy, uh, cancer. There's a definite break here with the old life. One commentator says this, the term repudiates every effort to cover these unsightly deformities of the old man with a veil of an assumed courteousness and politeness or sanctimony. In other words, this goes deep. This is surgery. This isn't putting a bandaid over things. This is laying aside. So what is malice? It's one of those words that you might hear. You might have written on a spelling test when you were in school but might wonder what it means that word malice there uh is the idea of 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 a wickedness when you think of someone who has malicious intent malicious intent what are they trying to do they're trying to 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 denote uh, ill will or harmfulness to a to to one's neighbor right and that could be in very violent ways, or that could be very subtle ways, couldn't it? In other words, they're not looking for the individual to flourish, they're looking for that person to do poorly and find ways to do that. And Peter says, lay aside that. Lay aside that. Um, And then he says, lay aside uh, all guile. All guile. Not only the basic attitude of ill will toward others and malice, but guile is the idea of deceit, cunning, craftiness uh, deception it 's the idea of deceiving and hurting others for personal gain, and with the twistedness of the human nature, there are many different ways this can happen right there. guile lay aside that, and then there 's hypocrisies hypocrisies that 's the idea of putting on one face and having a smile, smiling sanctimonious face to some, to, to, to people and in, in other ways. Being a a, a Um, hypocrite—it's the idea of throwing the victim off guard so that then later you can come by and stab him in the back. Um, It's 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 someone meeting you with a face that's very different from what's really inside and their real feelings about you. You can think of people in the scriptures like that, like Ananias and Sapphira, right? They had this appearance of holiness. And they were doing good things that seemed good, but their motivations and what was going on was, was poor in their hearts. And remember what he says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, seeing you have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit to what? Unfeigned or sincere, genuine love of the brethren. See that you love one, one another with a pure heart, fervently. Um... And then there's the word after this, envies, envies, envies. This is this is this is the longing for what other people have. You know, envy is is a powerful motivating force, isn't it? Um, what goes on in our world largely is driven by envy, isn't it? Envy, and when it all comes down to it, somebody said, envy is resenting God's goodness to others and ignoring God's goodness to me. It's a wrong perspective of God's goodness. So when people flourish or prosper here, I resent that. I don't want to see them have that position. I think I deserve that. or I think someone else should have had that. And so it is, it is resenting God's goodness to others and ignoring God's goodness to me forgetting that I'm a recipient of of grace. I don't deserve it. It's it's it, it it does not like hearing about the advantage or prosperity of others. It's the running mate of hypocrisy, isn't it? In a lot of ways. In summer of 2006, there was a teddy bear carnage at a museum of teddy bears in western England. You see, there was a Doberman, Doberman Pinscher named uh, Barney who just went berserk. There was a uh, museum that had all kinds of famous teddy bears that some of the wealthy and famous may have owned, including Elvis, Elvis's teddy bear, Mabel. And in an evening rampage, Barney shredded about 100 of the bears on display. And he got Elvis's teddy bear, Mabel. He got it, and he tore it apart. Mabel was owned by an English aristocrat named Benjamin Slade. He lives close to the museum and he had paid something like $75,000 for Elvis Presley's teddy bear at a Memphis auction. And he had loaned it to this particular uh, English um, a museum. And uh, the museum's general manager had to have a phone call with uh, Benjamin and say uh, uh, he's, he's not very happy about this. Well, what would possess Barney the Doberman Pinscher to do this? Well... Um, A dog's handler, Greg West, thinks that it was probably jealousy, because according to the handler, he was holding Mabel, this teddy bear, and saying, wow, what a nice little bear that was, and that's when later on, Barney turned on the bear and the other bears, and West spent several minutes chasing Barney before he could wrestle him to the ground and end this act of vengeance. Um, they don't allow dogs anymore now into this particular uh, museum. Um, and, and, and maybe that's, that's how Barney displayed his envy. But what are the triggers that send you into anger? What are the things that stir you up? What releases your anger and desire for revenge? Is it, is it jealousy over the strokes and the care that someone else got that maybe you didn't get? Um, and who do you damage when you lose control? It's going to be more the damage that happens is going to be damage to people. That's more valuable than any teddy bear, right? And that's where envy is. That's what envy does. And then notice. Then he says, "In all evil speakings, all evil speakings." This is the idea of slander. It's the idea of, of 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 running them down, running them down. And Paul said, or Peter says in chapter three, verse sixteen, that many times Christians are treated this way by unbelievers who want to uh, 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 tear them down. And here he's saying this should not be part of the born again new life. Avoid slander, slander, um, and it can happen in very passive aggressive ways, where you just throw a comment right about somebody else to somebody. Or it can happen in very direct and concentrated ways. But What do all these qualities have to do with love? All of them are adamantly against this activity of love that we're called to do in chapter 1. Right. Think about what we read last week in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is an act from spite. It acts for the good of the other person. It doesn't practice uh, deceit or act as a mask for selfish motives like flattery. It's honest. It's open-handed. It doesn't desire to be better than people, to destroy other people's relationships. It rejoices in the success of other people. It's glad to give them praise and commendation. And Peter says, "Wherefore, Wherefore, on the basis of your new birth, Put this aside. Cut out the cancer. If you find yourselves with any shade of any of these things, you are not growing. You and I, if we are looking through this analysis here and say, that attitude's in me. We are not growing until we put it off. You say, well, how do you put it off? Well, first we need to understand that Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1 that we are to be holy like God is holy. Anybody familiar with the term Stockholm Syndrome? Here's, here's, here's what it is. Here's, here's where it comes from. On August 23, 1973, uh, Jan Olsen, out, of, out, out on parole from prison, held up a bank in Stockholm, Sweden. And the police showed up. He took four people as hostage there. And there was a standoff, of course, between him and the police, and it lasted six days. And at one point during the standoff, he called Sweden's prime minister to say that he's going to kill the hostages. And so he puts one of the hostages, Kristen Enmark, on the phone, and she says to the prime minister, unsolicited from, from the, the, the hostage taker, she says to the prime minister, I'm very disappointed in you. I think you're sitting here playing with our lives. And despite her threats, uh, his threats to kill her, she had decided she actually felt safer with the bad guy than the police. In fact, when later on this all was taken care of and began to interview the hostages, began to realize that she wasn't the only one. There were hostages that were actually resisting rescue and later refused to testify against their captor. They had gotten so connected with him. Some even began to raise money for his defense. We're holding them hostage. And so, whenever you hear news of a hostage who identifies more with their captors than their rescuers, that's a term we now use to, to describe as Stockholm Syndrome. Stockholm Syndrome. Many years after that incident, this lady, Kristen Enmark, summed up what had happened when... She realized, had a clear thinking ahead again. She said, it's some kind of a context you get into when all your values, the morals you have, change in some way. Now, what's, what's the point of that? What Peter is saying in chapter 2, verse 1 is this. You're new. You've been born again. Don't get sucked into the hostage situation again. It's amazing how people like this story, they can get so turned around they can no longer tell the difference between the good guys and the bad guys, right? Ephesians 5 3 warns us that this can even happen to Christians. We can forget what side we're on and that, what team we're on. Paul says, Among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed or covetousness, he says, because these are improper for God's people. These are improper. And this cancer of unloving has a corruptive, corrosive nature. So you say, well, what's the answer to this? Okay, sure, I know I need to put these things off. But what's the answer for now growing in Christ? Because that's only part of it. I can't just have surgery. How do I heal? How do I grow? How do I move on to uh, uh, a, a, a walk with the Lord? Well... The second point is this has to be driven by a craving for a walk with God. A craving for a walk with God. Look what he says in verse 2. As newborn babes, and he's throwing out um, uh, infants here as an illustration of what it means to be hungry. Desire the sincere milk with the word that you may grow thereby. If so be ye have taste that the Lord is Gracious. A few years ago, the marriage and family expert, uh, Gary Smalley, maybe some of you have read his books, um, he noticed some weeds sprouting among, up some, um, among the healthy grass in his yard. And so he went to a hardware store, he got a bottle of weed killer, and he, and he drenched these weeds in his, in his lawn. A day later, the weeds were still there and some of the brown grass that he had accidentally killed here sprang the weeds. And so he tried again and, he, and, he, and again and he killed more healthy grass. And his wife said, that's enough. You're putting brown spots all over your yard here. I want you to go talk to a professional. And so he went and spoke with a professional before he killed their whole yard left and left nothing but brown weeds. And he said this, what he said I'll never forget because it applies to our relationship or sin in general, you don't go after the weeds. You'll want to grow the healthy grass around them. The healthy grass will kill the weeds. It will choke out the weeds. And, and, and Peter is saying in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, if you're going to lay aside these things, in verse 1, there needs to be a direction here of growth and health. Think about it. We don't grow just by pulling out the weeds of sin, right? We grow by growing healthy grass. And Christ's virtues and Christ's desires here, and this is what he's saying in verse two. Desire. That word desire in other places is a negative idea. It's the idea of lust. You know your your, your former lusts. Those, those cravings that are bad, right? Now he says Because you're newborn babes. You've been born again. Chapter 1 and verse 2 and and 3 through 12. Your new life. You've been born again. You're in a new family. You're going to have a craving that's going to be different now. You're going to have a craving that's going to be different. A superior craving that you may grow thereby. And so he talks about this. If you experience God as good at the new birth... Have you forgot about that? If you've been made alive in the very nature of God, does that still mean something? If you want to grow at one time and now you're kind of, I don't know, whatever. What happened? Did God move? If at one time you had the wonder of the joy of your salvation... But now it's, yeah, I know that. Or that was true then. And Peter wants you to know that there needs to be a change in craving, a change in desire here. Now look what he says. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. That word, word there in the Greek is the word logikos. And it's the idea of the message. It's the idea of the message that you may grow thereby. And what he wants us to understand is if we're going to thrive in Babylon among the the pagans here, and we're going to to represent God well as members of His embassy and His kingdom here and represent our king well, then we need to crave God's goodness. We need to crave God's goodness. You know, all those things in verse 1 happen when we forget God's goodness to us. Remember the parable of the guy who couldn't forgive the other guy Jesus gives? What had he forgotten? How much that he was forgiven of, right? I want you to hear this paradox statement, but to hear it and think about it. It is our duty to be happy in the goodness of God. It is our duty to be happy in the goodness of God. My friend David Christensen said that. I've never forgotten it. You might say, oh, I'm supposed to be happy. It's my duty to be happy. And actually, it is to find our joy in God. And where do we find that joy? Well, this here tells us in that verse 3. It says It's translated, if so be, but the idea is, since this is true, first class condition. This is, this is true of you as a believer. You have tasted that the Lord is Gracious. He's quoting from Psalm 34, 8, and he's saying that if you have tasted that the Lord is good, that the Lord is kind, that the Lord is pleasant. What's interesting about Psalm 34 is it's written by David as he's running away from this guy named Abimelech. So David is actually a sojourner. He's an exile. He's a refugee here. And Peter takes this verse from Psalm 34, and he'll do some other verses a little bit later on in Psalm 34. And he says that, that, um, that remember, remember, part of growing and wanting to grow is remembering that the Lord is gracious, that He's kind. When you understand the Lord is gracious, and you understand He's good, and you understand He's glorious and He's great, you don't have to be in control of everything. You don't have to be fearful of others, but you can you can surrender yourself to serve others from underneath. You don't have to look elsewhere for things that are good, and you don't have to prove yourself. And we read these things in the first verse there that are negative, and they might be indi- in, indi- uh, might be indicating themselves in your life if you find yourself overbearing or inflexible or impatient. Uh, wanting approval, um, you behave certain so one way around certain people and another way around other people. Um, uh, you're a complainer. You're critical. You you uh, seem to um, want to distance yourself. Um, you take criticism and failure badly. You're proud or you envy other success, or you just people kind of just feel guilty all around you all the time. That's the verse 1 that Peter says, that's not you. If you're in Christ, that's not you. Lay that aside. But then the verse 2 and 3 is saying, taste and see the graciousness of the Lord. That's what changes you. You're wondering, well, how do I taste and see the graciousness of the Lord? Well, it comes through the Word of God. It comes through the Word of God. And it comes through the works of God. Have you stopped and taken time to count the blessings? Have you said, whoa, 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 okay, this attitude is creeping into my heart about this other person. I need to see them as an individual made in God's image, who they have been made my brother and sister in Christ. They're on my team. And I need to build up the team. And I need to think about how God has been very kind to me and very kind to them. And count the blessings. That's tasting the graciousness of God. Now, one very simple and in-context way is to read verses 3 to 12. Because he just laid all that out, didn't he? This is how God has been good and kind and gracious to you. This is what he's done. Look at verse 2. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God and the Father through sanctification of the Spirit to obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Remember we talked about God's grace and His peace. He always wants that to not just sit still in us, but to overflow and multiply. And then he says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His abundant mercy, hath begotten us, made us alive again to a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fades not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith to salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. He goes through and gives more. If... So be you've tasted the Lord is gracious. That's where it starts. It starts the humility, doesn't it? Lord, show me the areas in my life that I am just assuming or I am just running on fumes and help me to return to the gas tank of seeing your graciousness. Your graciousness. Read Ephesians 2, 1-10, to right? Here's where you were. But God who is rich, in mercy. And so this passage diagnoses us. It tells us what things we were to cut out in surgery. And it tells us, here's how you restore the joy of my salvation. If you feel like your wheels are spinning or not moving all at all, or you're stuck, or you're wondering why the joy of your salvation is missing, and there's little growth, there's a little hunger appetite, there's a critical spirit that dominates you. It's because the cancer of the old nature is infiltrated, and you're trying to mix it in with the spirit, and that doesn't happen. That which is of the flesh is flesh, that which is of the spirit is spirit. The flesh profits little, but the spirit profits we have a kingdom to represent in Babylon. We're going to see later on in chapter 2, our job is to show the excellencies of our king and his grace and goodness that he's given us to share with others. But cancer of that old selfish nature can creep in. So we have to live in line with our true identity, our new life of being born again. We're people of the Spirit. We're not mere men, Paul tells the Corinthians here being born again out of the old life and the new life of the king by zapping the cancer and walking in the beauty of the goodness of our king. And it's only then that we'll grow in dynamic relationship. If we're really connected to the Lord Jesus, we're going to be increasingly connected with one another. Don uh, Champion sent an email the other night that I felt I just had to share with you two paragraphs. Is there ministering in Myanmar, and it, it's kind of hard to um, describe this without you seeing pictures and experiencing it, but I think this is a great um, as close as you can get. I knew in advance that the place we were going to that Sunday was a house and not a church building, and that I was expected to preach to a small group of believers. I also knew that the home, the house could, would be humble, to say the least. And I also knew that this would not be the first time that after 25 years of working in third world countries, I would encounter a rustic environment for a church meeting. So I came prepared, or so I thought. It was more humble than I imagined. We entered the house, my eyes slowly adjusted to the dimness, and I looked around. People were singing in Burmese with a melody that contrasted with the harshness of the building, with faces that reflected a light and love for Christ, Young and old had gathered to worship the God they loved. It soon became obvious to me that a strong wind would literally blow this house down. A decent rain would wash it away. But at this moment, the only wind was that of the Holy Spirit drawing me into the presence of God. The only rain was the tears washing down my cheeks. And then came the voice of God reminding me that my Savior was born in an environment much like this. At this humble home better resembled a meeting place for Christ than any cathedral, in any city on earth. I was not carried aloft into the third heaven as the Apostle Paul once was, but I was carried into the vivid and living presence of Christ. What a beautiful picture of what it is to be God's representatives. Who love one another and love God. That's what holiness is. That's what makes us distinct from the world. Let's pray.